Hi, this is DebtWire Managing Editor Andrew Ragsley, and you're listening to episode 11 of our DebtWired series. You're about to hear from Deputy Editor Reshmi Basu in her conversation with Dave Katz and Sanjeev Kamlani. Both are Senior Managing Directors in the Senior Lender Advisory Practice at FTI Consulting. The main topic of discussion here revolves around findings within FTI's recent 2021 U.S. Loan Market Survey. Up for debate on the podcast and among survey participants is a wide range of issues from liquidity in the market to ESG impact on investing, questions around lender compensation relative to deal risk, and are we veering into a debtor's market or a lender's market? Dave and Sanjeev, thank you so much for being here. This is the third U.S. loan market survey published by FTI. How did this year's survey differ from previous years? Good morning, Rishmi. Thank you and the team at DebtWire for having Dave Katz and me on your podcast today. We're both very excited to talk to you and the DebtWire audience about our third U.S. loan market survey. So back to your question on how this survey differed from earlier surveys. Well, our first survey, which was done in 2019, was undertaken in more or less a normal economic environment. Our second survey, which was completed towards the end of the first quarter of 2020, was answered as COVID-19 was beginning to impact the U.S. market, but well before anybody fully appreciated the impact that it would have. This year's survey was launched as respondents could see a likely exit from the pandemic world, albeit one whose timing was unclear and viewed differently by our respondents. So the key is that this year's survey came at a different point in the market cycle. Beyond that, we can report that the number of respondents to our survey has increased each and every year that we've done it. Um, And we'd note that this year, our survey had a heavier tilt towards bank respondents. Roughly two-thirds of our respondents work at either a commercial bank or an investment bank. What were the major takeaways from the survey? Thank you very much for the question. We see two main takeaways from the survey. First, COVID's impact was nearly all-encompassing. Over half of our respondents cited COVID-19 as the primary cause of loans being in workout. To put that in context, in the prior year, idiosyncratic drivers were cited as the primary cause of workouts. So in a one-year period, we went from loans primarily having their own unique stories for why they ended up distressed to one in which loans generally shared a common story, and that story was COVID-19. The second main takeaway is that despite the impact of COVID-19, the go-forward outlook is constructive. Nearly two-fifths of respondents expected average GDP growth between 2% and 4% in 2021, but another two-fifths expected even stronger growth. Tied to this is the overwhelming belief of our respondents that the Fed will keep base rates near zero throughout 2021. What were the most surprising answers from respondents? Excellent question, Reshmi. There were actually three responses that were quite surprising to Dave and me. First and foremost, 40% of our respondents viewed the policy responses by the Fed with with the way that it supported the economy as being excessive. And while our survey didn't exist 
following the global financial crisis of 07 to 09? We would have been surprised to have received similar answers at that time. The Fed's response to the pandemic was clearly larger and more far-reaching than what it deployed during the global financial crisis. The view that this support was excessive is also at odds with the publicly communicated intentions of the Fed and the current administration, both of whom don't appear ready to back off from heavy support of the economy and financial markets. The second surprise that came to us was that more than half of our respondents expect another black swan event to occur within the next five years. To put this in context, the timing between the last two black swan events, the housing market crash and the COVID-19 pandemic, was roughly 12 years, which is typical. Now, we know that by definition, black swan events are rare, unpredictable, unconnected, and high-impact occurrences. So we were surprised that many respondents expect the time until the next event to be relatively short. One might anticipate that given this expectation, investors might try to push for terms that would protect them from another such event. However, given the many forms that these events can take and the current risk-on appetite in the credit markets, it's unlikely that the investors will be able to protect themselves from extreme outlier events that might not be as infrequent going forward. Finally, we were surprised by the number of respondents that thought that workout activity would still be elevated this year. Only a quarter of our respondents expected that the leverage loan defaults and workout activity would be sharply lower this year. Most anticipate a moderate or modest decrease in such activity. As we all know, the first four months of the year appear to contradict any expectation of a robust year for workouts and defaults. Neither FTI nor the rating agencies anticipate a material rise in defaults in the latter half of the year. But it's unclear whether the limited activity in Q1 of 2021 is a harbinger for the rest of the year. What sectors were flagged as being challenged? I don't think anyone will be surprised to hear that our respondents called out hospitality and lodging, retail, real estate, and airlines as the sectors that were most likely to experience distress over the next 12 months. Interestingly, though, a year ago, oil and gas was called out by 77% of respondents as likely to experience distress, but this year, less than a third of respondents said it was likely to show ongoing troubles. Respondents were clearly correct in 2020, and thus far for oil and gas, they appeared to be largely correct about 2021. As for the sectors that they did call out for 2021 stress, we're curious to see if the pent-up leisure travel demand that should provide some relief to hospitality and lodging, as well as airlines, proves to be short-lived or instead sustainable beyond 2021. Nonetheless, the drag of a slow return to business travel should weigh heavily on those industries. For commercial real estate, ultimate stress will likely be dependent on what the new normal looks like, and increasingly, it seems the new normal won't resemble the old normal. Finally, while stress on the retail sector was undoubtedly exacerbated by COVID-19, that stress existed beforehand and will continue afterwards. The sector is undergoing secular changes 
that point to longer-term headwinds for bricks and mortar. Why were so many troubled sectors, some of which operated with limited cash receipts during the pandemic, able to tap the capital markets? Larger companies in multiple trouble sectors were generally able to tap the capital markets, but many smaller companies found that they lacked the same access. Some of the troubled companies ended up restructuring because credit investors questioned the ability of the business to survive the pandemic and lenders required greater credit protections. The companies that were able to access the capital markets did so to extend their liquidity runway and took on expensive debt, which often included equity kickers for credit investors. Investors which provided that capital had a constructive view on the underlying business models and the duration that COVID would impact the business. And they took the opportunity to deploy capital at some of the most attractive risk-adjusted returns that have been available in a long time. Some of these investment decisions were purely opportunistic, while others were defensive and protected capital that had already been deployed. The question of, does this business have a reason to exist, took on even more import during the pandemic. Did you expect the distressed cycle to last longer? And are you surprised by the current level of distressed opportunities? Well, Rashmi, the extent to which the market traded off at the beginning of the pandemic showed that nearly everyone expected the impact of the pandemic would be far more reaching and longer lasting than it has been. Had it been so, we believe there would have been substantially greater restructuring activity. That said, given the ability of companies to refinance debt and otherwise access the capital markets, the paltry level of distressed opportunities we're currently seeing is not hugely surprising. So many companies are issuing debt. Do you think there is a disconnect between the fundamentals and pricing? We absolutely do not believe there is a disconnect between the fundamentals of supply and demand and pricing. On the demand side, there is an enormous amount of capital looking to be put to work. With a limited supply of investment opportunities, Yields compress and terms loosen. On the other hand, looking purely at the fundamentals of many speculative grade companies and comparing it to choices that lenders are making, there definitely appears to be a disconnect. We believe investors today are not receiving appropriate compensation for the risks that they likely face through the cycle. Today's push to deploy capital may create tomorrow's restructuring issues, but to be candid, the restructuring community has been saying that for quite some time. All the while, leverage metrics continue to reflect increasing corporate reliance on debt, and only today's highly managed interest rate environment and easy terms allow this leverage to be tolerable. So, when does this merry-go-round stop because it becomes unsustainable? That's what we'd all like to know. Do you think this is a debtor's market or a lender's market? It's largely an issuer's market. General market covenants haven't tightened. Leverage levels remain high and appear to be marching higher. And capital inflows remain strong. Those, to us, are all indicative of market 
in which issuers are positioned strongly. The ongoing acquiescence of lenders on a variety of issues that aren't in their best interests, such as asset stripping, EBITDA adjustments, large borrower baskets, and others, attests to the fact that borrowers have the upper hand in today's lending environment. How are lenders positioning themselves when a company seeks covenant relief? Are they asking for more protections now? Many companies have improved materially from when they asked for covenant relief in the early days of the pandemic. And those companies that have not yet improved or have only slightly improved are bolstered by expectations that improvement is just around the corner. That mix leads to an interesting dynamic. Lenders are more willing to extend relief than one would have predicted 12 months ago and are therefore more willing to entertain covenant extensions in which structural tightening is not sought after. For select credits that have improved since the onset of the pandemic, this means baskets may be loosened as opposed to tightened. Some consolation may be found in a possible tightening of financial maintenance covenants allowed by the expected higher earnings power of these companies. For those issuers that haven't improved, lenders who responded to the survey indicated that they would look to limit collateral stripping and incurrence of secured debt while pushing for greater amounts of principal repayments and tighter financial covenants. Do you expect to see more priming deals to happen this year? And what were the findings in the survey? So the findings were quite interesting, Rashmi. Less than 40% of our respondents said they had escaped uptearing or priming. Third, said they had been both subject to and a participant in these types of transactions, albeit in different deals. Notably, there was a huge split here based on our respondent type. Over 40% of bank lenders said they had been both participant and subject to priming, while only 14% of non-bank lenders said they had. Non-bank lenders were much more likely to have been a participant or driver of the up-tiering group than were banks. Given how many of our respondents faced these types of transactions last year, we think there's a likelihood that the transactions are becoming, if not accepted, at least tolerated. In part, it's a reflection of the cannibalistic conditions in lending markets. They're saturated with capital, and the resultant incentive is for the big boys to juice their returns at the expense of fellow lenders. So until the new issue market builds in credit protections that prevent these types of priming transactions, the market's going to have to sit back and endure more of them. What do you think will most guide lenders' credit negotiations in 2021? Nearly one half of our respondents said that their focus would be on tightening non-financial maintenance covenants. These covenants could take many forms, like anti-cash hoarding or collateral stripping preventions. That said, these goals have to be balanced against opportunity. The relatively easy access to capital in the market right now, combined with the expectation of improving earnings, may mean that lenders have to abandon these goals or at least postpone them through the imposition of financial maintenance covenants. If things go well and companies improve, tightened non-financial maintenance covenants may never be imposed, but the need to have imposed them will have been lessened as well. 
On the other hand, if earnings do not follow the optimistic path currently anticipated, financial maintenance covenant breaches would give lenders an opportunity to impose non-financial maintenance covenants, albeit, perhaps, after the horse has left the gate. How is ESG impacting the market and investment strategies? Great question. ESG is definitely a focus at the moment. And overwhelmingly, our respondents cited oil and gas and metals and mining sectors as those most likely to face ESG headwinds. This isn't a surprise. Those are rather obvious targets for ESG vigilance. However, we've seen ESG focus expand well beyond these industries. Sectors that haven't faced pressure in the past now find themselves hearing the call from their stakeholders to develop and implement clear and effective programs that address ESG concerns. To do so, companies are finding that they must move beyond the mindset of simply expanding disclosures to fully embracing meaningful and well-communicated policies, initiatives, and risk mitigation programs. Furthermore, to be successful, these companies are recognizing that implementation must go hand-in-hand with guidelines to measure and, as appropriate, continue to update their programs. We've seen that companies that fully embrace this mindset are turning ESG from an albatross into an opportunity. Dave and Sanjeev, thank you so much for being here and sharing your insight into the loan market survey by FTI. Thanks so much, Rashmi. Thanks for having us.